Muhammad <coughs> Beloved brothers and sisters in Islam, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi ta'ala wa barakatuh. I've got good news for you and I've got bad news for you tonight. Which you want to hear first? First the bad news or first the good news? First the bad news. The bad news is there's no consistency in some verses after the lecture. That's the bad news. The good news is that it's going to be quite a long lecture tonight. All right. As I said yesterday in the Jummah, inshallah, tonight we will deal with the question of the day. The question of the day, of course, is the celebration of the birth of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Allahumma salli wa sallim wa barik ala Muhammad wa ala alihi wa ashabi jama'in. And I have to introduce the subject by telling you that over the last two years, I've read every conceivable text on the celebration of Mawlud and Bid'ah, as seen by scholars from all the four Madaib and outside the four Madaib. And that is part of the bad news. The bad news is how do you condense two years of reading into uh, maybe 45 minutes or one hour of lecture. Especially if I start so slowly, it'll even take longer. So tonight's discussion, inshallah, is going to be a sharing of the information which I have with you. Allah says, do not mix up the truth with falsehood. Powerful statement. Allah SWT says, do not mix falsehood with the truth. And do not hide the truth when you know what the truth is. My boss is oft forgiving, most merciful, but it's also quick in punishment. So when I look at you and I speak to you, my eyes is on you, but my heart is by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I see him looking at me, listening to me, and recording what I say. And I'm so aware that on the day of judgment, the record of this one on this side, Raqib and Raqid, will be handed to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and I will have to answer for what I had said to you this evening. So I say to you that what I would like one of you rather to come and sit here and I will sit here. <laughs> so heavily, the weight of what I'm going to say to you is on my shoulders. It's not easy. Especially when it's holiday time and you want to be away on a Saturday evening with your wife or take a drive or something. 
The topic at hand, of course, is the topic of Mawlid. Mawlud or Mawlid. In the classical Arabic, it's Mawlid or Mawlid. So my duty tonight is not to convince you, to convert you. My duty tonight is merely to give you the message. And the facts which I'm going to place in front of you are historical facts, are facts that have been written by the great ulama, and I'll mention all their names to you, and also the Sunnah of Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam, And ultimately, we refer the matter to the Quran of Allah subhanahu wa taala. Now, what I want to sketch for you is what is called the timeline. And the timeline I'm going to sketch to you is when was Mawlud first celebrated? And we will go back in that timeline to the time of Muhammad So from the time that Mawlud was celebrated, we will take it backwards. We will rewind the tape back to the time of Muhammad the timeline that we we'll start with is 600 years after the death, or rather after the Hijrah of Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam. 600 years after he was, after he made, after he migrated from Makkah to Medina. 600 years. 600 years is a long time. We've been here what 300 years? Double that time. So we start double that time after the Hijrah of Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam. What happened 600 years after the Nabi sallallahu Hijrah? What happened 600 years after the Hijrah of Muhammad وسلم, was that there was a group of Shia. You know the Shia, I think they're quite well known in the world to us today. We know their belief system. You know what they stand for. But this was a special group of Shia called the Fatimids. The Fatimids. And I'll tell you later why they called themselves the Fatimids. You can hear the word Fatimid comes from the word, from the name Fatima. Fatima, of course, was the. Somebody has to buy me a new one. Fatima was comes from the daughter of Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Say that in Fatima alayha as-salatu wassalam. This group of Shia called themselves the Ismailis. When I studied in Pakistan, I met some of them. There, they called themselves the Boras. And their leader today is the Aga Khan. He does a lot of good work, has built hospitals throughout the world, it's a lot of good work, this Ismaili leader. But be that as it may, they are also called the Batinis. The word Batin in Arabic means inside. Meaning they, when they look at the Quran of Allah, they see two sides to it. The apparent side of the Qur'an, which when you read it, you get the meaning of it, and the batin side of the Qur'an, the non-apparent side. What is called in spiritual language, the esoteric side. And that side, they believe, can only be interpreted, the only person who has the ability to interpret that part of the Qur'an that you can't see and nobody knows, is the Imam. And the Ismailis has got seven Imams. The Imam starts with the seventh Imam, his name was Ismail. The people in Iran at the moment, the Shias, they are 12 Imam Shias. They believe they have 12 Imams. So they've carried on from the seven to the 12. The Ismaili stopped at Ismail, who was the seventh Imam. 
They also believe that these imams, these seven imams which they have, are infallible. They have, they can't sin. They're like the Prophet they're ma'asum. They can't, they don't sin, they're infallible. They are perfect human beings. Just like Muhammad And over time, they also claim that they had divine attributes. For example, they can be in more than one place at the same time. That they are the intermediaries between Allah and man. They sit in between heaven and earth. And they are more, like the, the Sufis believe, they are more valuable after they're dead than when they were alive. So when you go to Iran, like I went to Iran, visited Iran, and I always say I went to Mashhad. And one of the Imams is buried in Mashhad. One of the Shia Imams is buried in Mashhad. is near the border with Afghanistan. And I was shocked when I got there that this place was bigger than the Haram of Medina. It was beautiful with domes. You know the Iranian architecture is very beautiful. So they really elevate and venerate the Imams. And that was the first time that I saw, I've seen many shrines in my life, all over the world that I traveled and in my own country as well. But I've never seen people make sujood towards the grave. There I saw people make salah, make salah right around the grave, facing that way, this way, this way, this way. And I saw the ulama walking up and down with their turbans and their black shawls, and nobody said anything. So this is the kind of veneration that the 12 Imam Shias in Iran devote uh, to their Imams. In the seventh century, as I said, the Imam by the name of Ismail ibn Ja'far, he broke away from the others and he started his own Batini group. Part of these Batinis can also be found today in, in, in Syria. They call themselves the Alawites, which of course is a misnomer, because they try and say that they are following Sayyidina Ali Karram Allah Wajah. But they actually called Nusayris, and they, they, they are Batinis, like the Ismailis. They believe that, for example, one of Hafs al-Assad's belief is that Hajj is not a physical journey. Hajj is a spiritual journey. So you can sit in your lounge, close your eyes, and you can make Hajj. No problem. And Salah, Salah is two rakahs once a year in the presence of the Imam. End of story. And they believe that the Aga Khan, of course, as you know, those of you who read a bit know that the Aga Khan has racehorses. He, uh, he drinks the best of whatever he drinks, not apple ties. <laughs> and when you ask an Ismail, like ask them, a Bora, by the way, they make very good samosas. I asked this Bora, so you're, you're, how can you have a leader, a Muslim leader, who drinks? Very, he was very angry. He said to me, no, 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 no. You see, he's our leader. He represents the Imam. If he drinks, when the, when the brandy reaches his lips, it turns to water. And would you believe it, that there are people who believe this? People who are professors, doctors, engineers, lawyers, millionaires, billionaires, that follow this man? Can you believe it? Subhanallah. So this is the Ismailis. They have been declared by their own Shias as non-Muslim. And so, in the 8th century, this is after Nabi Isa 
they were so persecuted all over the world, all over the Muslim world, that they went underground. They went underground in all the Muslim countries, from Morocco to India. They were all over the place, everywhere. And they decided that to stop the persecution, they will hide their faith from everybody. They will practice what the Shia call taqiyya. You ask them, are you Ismaili? They say, no, no. I'm not an Ismaili. I'm, I'm, I'm a Sunni Muslim. Something like that. All right? And in 909 AD, one of these cells decided to go public. And he went public, the cell went public in Tunisia in 909. And a man by the name of Abdullah al-Mahdi Billah, Ismaili, started what is called the Fatimid branch of the Ismaili religion. Why, was it, why did he call himself, call himself the Fatimid branch? Because he said that he was a what? A descendant of the Prophet sallallahu via Fatima radiallahu You know the story. You know the story about all the descendants, ascendants, sideways, that even come to our shores and make these kind of claims. So it's not the first time, it won't be the last time. There are good ones amongst them and a bad ones amongst them. Of course, there are good descendants of Muhammad sallallahu and there are bad ones. These are some of the bad ones. So, this cell became very strong. And you know, when I look back at Cape Town in the 70s, with the arrival of Shiism in Cape Town, they followed exactly the same pattern. Exactly the same pattern. They were underground, they weren't making any noise. They went to Pal, to a township, they Kwamash, not Kwamash, Kwa something. And they did the Dawa work there, and then they came back to Cape Town. And slowly, 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 and today, when we wipe our eyes out, what do we have? We have, in progress, a building worth 25 million rand, an Islamic center that is going to entrench Shiism in Cape Town. And what do we do? We say, oh, you must be tolerant, you know, they're Muslim, etc., etc., etc. You know why you say this? Because you've never read the history of Islam. You've not read the history of Shiism. You've not read the history of Ismail. You don't know what these people are capable of. Subhanallah. The oppression that resulted from the Fatimid rule of the Muslim world. They conquered Morocco, Niger Algeria, Tunisia, Sicily, Malta. And eventually, in 969, from 909 to 969, they conquered Egypt. And with the conquering of Egypt, which was the center of Islam and still is today, they conquered Syria, they conquered Makkah, they conquered Medina, they controlled the whole of the Arab world. The northern axis, the African axis, from there through Palestine they conquered, they controlled Syria and Makkah and Medina, the centers of Islam. These are the people who are not considered not Muslim by us as well as by their own co-religionists, namely the 12 Imam Shias. They ruled the Muslim world for 200 years. They were so strong. And at the latter part of the 200 years, they started oppression, oppression started. They started forcing people to become Ismailis. Remember, this was, this was a Sunni world that a few Ismailis conquered and controlled. And by the way, they also 
established the Al-Azhar University. But in around about 600, a very great man, a very great Kurd general, Kurdish general, by the name of Salahuddin al-Ayyubi came, alhamdulillah, and he conquered Palestine and reconquered Egypt, and he, alhamdulillah, defeated the Fatimids, and that was the end of the Fatimids. But that final years of the Fatimids, what they did was, the Fatimids initially had five celebrations in their calendar like all the Shias have. Five compulsory celebrations. Mawluds. The first was the Mawlud of Ali. Karramallah wajah. Wajhu. Fatima radiallahu was the second celebration. Mawlud. Third was the Mawlud of Hassan. Fourth was the Mawlud of Hussein. And fifth was the Mawlud of the ruler of the ruler of the time. The Shia ruler of the time. And they celebrated these birthdays of the five very great people that we know in the religion of Islam. And then when they saw they lost the Sunni support, they added the Mawlud of Muhammad So the Mawlud of Muhammad the Milad, as we call it, celebrations, was established by who? By the Kufr Shia. I say it like that because I want you to get the message from me. Because if you can absorb this message, you can also absorb the other messages which, I'm, which I've given you and which I'm going to give you. <laughs> that we need to look at our traditions and see where it comes from. Subhanallah. We have three nights, seven nights, and 14 nights. Ask, where does it come from? We have rampis thing. Where does it come from? Does it come from Muhammad sallallahu Say, the father, the Fatima didn't cut rampis, or his, Khadija didn't cut rampis, or... Aisha didn't cut down. We don't hear the Sahaba had the three nights for the Prophet, or the seven nights for the Prophet, or the 40 nights for the Prophet. Yet we blindly just carry on. We just get merrily, you know, we just go on, subhanAllah. As if this deen is just a train, you know, you get on at stage Salt River, and then you get off at Cape Town, and you get on again at Cape Town, and you can drive to Gisenberg and Timestown, and this is life. And not for something, so one minute you sit back and think, but excuse me. Prophet said, I left for you two things, the Quran and the Sunnah. Where is the Sunnah in this? Where is the Quran in this? Should I not ask myself that question every single time? Why must I ask myself the question every single time? Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to ask me those questions every single time. In the Qabr, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to say, Angel, angel to ask you. What was, what was your deen? Who was your imam? So my mama's faiq. No, you're going to get a big hiding. <laughs> or your imam or sheikh, so-and-so. Or peer so-and-so, or molana so-and-so. And you will say what you did. You can't say, you won't say Muhammad sallallahu if you weren't considering him as your imam. Don't think that you're going to, when the imam reads a talqeen to you and say, and when the angels come, say, and you are asked, who was your imam? Say, Muhammad. What was your kitab? Say, Quran. Don't you think the dead man there is going to say when the angel comes to him, oh, you know, my sheikh told me on top. He reminded me, I'm going to say Muhammad. You're not going to say Muhammad. 
you didn't follow Muhammad, you're going to say who you followed. And when you say who you followed, Allah forgive us. So, this was the beginning of what is called Milad and Nabi. There is another variation of this, which is propounded by a man called Jalaluddin As-Suyuti, one of the great scholars of Islam. One of the most prolific writers on Islam, on Hadith, and Quran, and everything. Who said that, Mawlud in fact started in Irbil. And of course you know where Irbil is, you see it on the TV, you know that the Kurds come from there, you know that Irbil is the center of the Parshmegas, is it? Army that is now uh, 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 attacking ISIS, and we're not going to pronounce any fatwa on that for the moment. But Irbil also started Milad celebrations. And I think historically you can connect because Al Ayyubi, what is his first name? Salahuddin was from that part of the world. And in becoming the new Khalifa, I think he exported some of that sort of celebration also to Irbil. And what happened was, of course, this celebration started a whole debate within the Muslim community. A tremendous debate within the Muslim This debate kept on for 300 years. And this debate was a continuation of a debate on the question of bid'ah before Mawlid. For 600 years, in fact, Imam Malik rahimahullah, was the staunchest supporter. He was the commander of the anti-bid'ah forces in the Muslim world. Imam Malik rahimahullah. The second madhab, when you started the second madhab, Malik ibn Anas rahimahullah, whose seat was in Medina. Because I don't have to tell you what a great scholar he was and who he was. I want to say from the offset, before I give you some of the views, and I can't give you all the views, I'm going to give you the names of the people that were involved in this debate. So first the debate was about Bid'ah. That was before Mawl, because Mawl only came 600 years. 600 years after, but before that, they all the hadith of the Nabi Sallallahu was discussed. The hadith, for example, I quoted you on Friday, Inna asdaq al hadithi Kitabullah. وَخَيْرَ الْحَدِي هَدْيُ مُحَمَّدٍ صلى الله عليه وسلم Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, the best words are the words of Allah. The kitab of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the best guidance is the guidance of Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. وَشَرَّ الْأُمُورِ مُحْدَثَاتُهَا And the worst matters are matters of innovation. Every innovation is bid'ah, and every bid'ah, and every bid'ah is darkness and going astray and getting lost. And everyone who gets lost gets lost in the fire. The Sahabi narrates the hadith in Imam Muslim, because the hadith is found in seven Abu Dawood, Tirmidhi, Muslim, and Ahmad ibn Hanbal's collection, all these collections. They say the Nabi said this hadith on the mimbar for Jum'ah. 
But he oft used to repeat this hadith in the Jummah. And when the Prophet made this khutbah for the first time and he said this hadith, he turned red. His face turned red. And he looked angry when he said this hadith to the people. <coughs> Warning the people about moving away from the Sunnah. Because the opposite of Sunnah is bid'ah, innovation. And I'll explain what that means later on, inshallah. Many of the ulama of the time, especially the ulama of Egypt, were swept up as many ulama are with the fact that the Egyptians were celebrating in the hundreds of thousands. Today the celebration of Mawlud is the third biggest celebration in the Muslim world. Started by who? By the Fatimids. For what purpose? To gain the support of the Sunni Muslims. And of course, with Sunni Muslims, anything, anytime you give them a baton, they think they're running the mile. Hmm? So they got this baton of Mawlud and they just ran with it. And they ran all over the world with it. Of course, as I said to my son-in-law this afternoon, I said, you know, he asked me, but why? I said, everything has got different benefits. I've only talked to you about what I mean religiously. There are psychological benefits, there are economic benefits. People get all kinds of benefits out of doing this bid'ah. Because the best benefit is the sweetness of following shaitan. <coughs> you know, it's very sweet to follow him. You go to Grand West, you know, you feel so good. Everything you do following shaitan is very nice. So, this is the spoon feeding of shaitan to the Muslim community. That's how it this is how it starts. So, Many great ulama of the time, particularly in Egypt, supported and endorsed the idea. Not only supported and endorsed the idea, but found the necessary arguments to support their point of view. And I'm going to give you, and I'm first going to give you the names of people who are involved in this discussion. Basically, there was Imam Malik rahimahullah and his students on the one side. And Imam Malik rahimahullah, his greatest students were, those of you who know about Ibrahim Ashatibi, the great Andalusian scholar, who started the discussion and wrote the first books on Maqasid al-Shari'ah, the objectives of the Sharia, one of the greatest scholars that Muslim world has known as Maliki. He was from Spain, Andalusia. There were other scholars, uh, like Imam Suyuti, Jalaluddin al-Suyuti, great scholar from Egypt, who supported the institution of Mawlid, and I'll explain how and what, uh, how he supported the institution of Mawlid. Then there was Fakihani, and I'm going to give you his version of what he feels is wrong with Mawlid. And then I'm going to go to Ibn Hajj, mention his name, Ibn Hajar al-Asqalani also got involved in the debate. Ibn Taymiyyah got involved in the debate, he was a Hanbali. So the Hanbalis were involved, the Malikis, Malikis were involved, and of course, the Shafi'is were involved. Imam Suyuti, rahimahullah, was a Shafi'i. And generally, the Shafi supported the celebration of Mawlid. And I'll tell you why later. And the Malikis and the Hanbalis opposed it, completely. Not only did they oppose the Mawlid celebration, they opposed Bid'ah long before that. You must understand that all these scholars lived before the celebration of Mawlud. Imam Shafi never celebrated Mawlud. Why not? Because Imam Shafi died what? He was born in 150. He died when? Maybe 200, 
somewhere around there. Abu Hanifa lived before that. Abu Hanifa was born in 80. This happened in 600. So, Imam Shafi didn't celebrate. Why didn't he celebrate Mawlana? Not because he didn't like to celebrate Mawlana, because there was no Mawlana. Period. There was no mention of celebrating the Mawlana of Muhammad Abu Hanifa, rahimahullah, strangely enough, and I'm saying this to you, when I was reading all this through the years, I was looking for, where's the Hanafi opinion? Where's the Hanafi ulama? The Hanafi ulama seems not to have gotten involved in the discussion of whether the normative hukum of Mawlud is Mawlud bid'ah, is it, is it allowed, is it permissible, is it not? There's only one Hanafi jurist, Turukumani, who wrote something on bid'ah. Imam Hanifa said nothing. So all the people that you elevate never celebrated Mawlud. Unfortunately, this is the bad news. Neither did Sayyid Abdul Qadir Jailani celebrate Mawlud because of before his time. Neither did Imam Ghazali celebrate Mawlud because of before his time. All this started very late, 600 years after the Hijrah of Muhammad Ibn Taymiyyah, a Hanbali scholar, of course, and they say, they call those who are against Mawlud, what do they call us? What do they call me? A what? A W? Ah, Wahhabi. <laughs> Subhanallah. In 700, the state of Saudi Arabia didn't even exist. In 700, when this discussion, the state, shame poor Imam Abdul Wahhab, he's, he was somewhere, somewhere. So shame to blame the Wahhabis and Imam Abdul Wahhab for not liking Mawlid is really eating below the belt. I mean, the house of Saud wasn't in existence. But it is a smokescreen, obviously. Oh, he must call. Oh, Faik, you know, no, no, you, he's again Mawlid. Oh, he's a Wahhabi. Oh, he's a Wahhabi. If they read the history correctly, they said, no, he's a what? He's a, he's a Maliki, because the Malikis, from the very beginning, were again. So I'd like you to call me Maliki. If you meet your friends, and, you, and they talk to you about myself, and they say, oh, you go to that masjid? Oh my God, that man's a Wahhabi. He said, no, no, he's not a Wahhabi. Wahhabis didn't celebrate Mawlud. Mawlud only came six, so many years before, hundreds of years before Imam Abdul Wahhab. He's a Maliki. He supports Imam Malik, rahimahullah. Imam Malik won, went to war against the Bid'ati. He, he said, this is going to destroy the Sunnah of Muhammad We have to get rid of this. That's why Imam Malik, as I said Friday, even those things which Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said was purposely, purposeable, he said, I dislike this. Why did he say so? He said, because when his companions said, why did you dislike this? The, the Prophet said, you must, you must visit the graves of the, of the shuhada. He said, because I can see what's going to happen if we open this door to visitation of graves. And he was absolutely correct. He understood his people, he understood the times they lived in, and he as an alim had to close the door. Because time of Muhammad and his time was different. And now the time is different. 20 years ago it was different. 20 years ago, we all visited the Kramat. Nothing wrong with it. We went there, the place was fallen down, there was no toilets, the place was dirty, ugly, it was falling apart. And Shaym, I felt sorry for the poor Kramat, you know, we just left it. But that was today's, what looks like a half, half hotel room if you go there. Painted their light. Prophet said, Don't put lights on a grave. We do everything the opposite of what Muhammad said. So the time has changed. Now it's, we live in a different time. Our ulama has to look at the problems differently. 
And so Imam Malik was that kind of man. Sayyidina Uthman radiallahu was Sayyidina Uthman? Dhun he was married to two daughters of who? Muhammad sallallahu He was one of the first converts to Islam in Makkah. Is there any question, doubt in your mind who this man was? Would there be any doubt in your mind as to the fact that you would follow the sunnah of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam? Sayyidina Uthman When he went for Hajj, he came to Mina. Now you know when the Nabi Sallallahu all of you have been Hajj, mashallah. And those who haven't, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give that you get accreditation. Inshallah. When he came to Mina, we know when the Messiah went for Hajj, he reduced the Salah to two on Arafah and Mina. Correct? Correct? Any Wahhabis here who disagree with me? <laughs> All right. But Sayyidina Uthman, when he went for Hajj, he completed the Salah on Mina. Right? Four for the word, four for Asr. Three for Maghrib, four for Aisha. Because Habu Wapsid. Sahaba said, Sayyidi, he was Amirul Mu'mineen. <laughs> Any person. He was Amirul Mu'mineen. They said, but you're changing the sunnah of the Nabi What's the matter with you? How can you complete the salah when the Prophet only made two? He said, I'm not, I'm the Amirul Mu'mineen, but I have to look at my people. And I said, well, look at my people here. Most of these people here are Bedouins. They come from villages far away. Today you would say they're from Pakistan, or they're from Bangladesh, or they're from Indonesia, far in the forest. And he said, if I should make Qasr Salah today, make two rakahs for Dhuhr, they will leave here to go back to the village and say, the Amir has made two rakahs for Dhuhr. That is the new way of making Salah. You see the foresight? See the foresight? See the foresight? Would the Nabi Sallallahu have agreed with him? So they were inspired by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. <coughs> so today, unfortunately, we don't have that foresight, that wisdom. We look, we look at everything as black and white. What's wrong with Mawlid? What's wrong with us? It's not as simple as that. This deen does not consist of yes and no. This deen consists, there's so much subhanallah. There's criminal law, civil law, Quran, sunnah, la hawla wa la quwata illa billah. If I should live another million years, I would not be able to know so much as if you put a needle in the ocean it comes out, that's probably the amount of knowledge I will have in a million years of this deen. So, Ibn Taymiyyah, and I said, as I said, Al-Turkumani was the only Hanafi alim who wrote on the question of Bida. And what did he write? He said, to give an idea of his attitude towards Bida, he said, the people who practice Bida accuse the Prophet of being a Khain. What's a Khain? A betrayer, somebody betrays other people. Because it would mean that he kept. If we say Bida is part of Deen, then it means Muhammad 
kept the deen away from us. He betrayed us by not teaching us to make his maulud, for example. That, is, was, that was the attitude of the one scholar uh, of the Hanafi Madhab. The scholars that were, that were against it were mainly the Malikis of North Africa, of some, uh, of course, uh, some of the Shafi'is. And I will explain to you what, from, one, from, the, from the voice of one Shafi'i, what he says. There was people like Imam Nawawi in Damascus who promoted the Shafi point of view, great name again, who said that as far as he was concerned, there is called something called Bida Hasana, a good Bida. So there was this balance of forces, pro and against. And my reading of history tells me that a lot of the pro voices was because of the vast celebration of Maulis within their countries. Started in Egypt, so they had spread. Damascus, Iraq. So, where there were ulama in these places, very few ulama wanted to raise their voices against the celebration. I find myself in the same invidious position, unfortunately. Let me give you only one view. The view of Imam Jalaluddin As-Suyuti, great scholar. He wrote a fatwa on Maulud. This was in the year just over the year 600, maybe the year 650. Called Husnul Maqsad Fi Amal Al-Mawlid. This was the name of the fatwa he wrote. The good intentions, listen to the name of the fatwa, the good intentions in the practice of the mawlud. In other words, he focused on good intention. And in his fatwa, he made the following points. People asked him for fatwa. Sheikh, give us a fatwa. This was this fatwa that he gave. He said, mawlud is the celebration of the birth of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa it gets people together, they recite the Qur'an, and so forth and so on. That's number two. So he says they get together and they recite the Qur'an. Number three, he says, they transmit lessons from the history of the beginning of the Ba'sa or prophethood of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa Number four, they recite the signs that occurred when he was born. Number five, they have a feast or a banquet afterwards. That's why I said the bad news was no consistent tonight. And lastly, they only do this and they leave. So what was his fatwa? He says, my fatwa is that this is a good innovation. This is a vida hasana. If you celebrate the Prophet's birthday, if you read the Quran, if you talk about the history of the Nabi sallallahu alaihi if you give people food, if you have these, if these four elements are to be found in the celebration, it is a bidah hasan, it's a good thing to do. Good innovation. I support it, he says. And he says, if you do it like that, you will be rewarded. There's benefit for you. As long as you do only the four above things. 
And this Imam Suyuti rahimahullah, he was of the opinion that the first Mawlud was celebrated by the rule of Irbil by the name of Malik al-Mudaffar. <coughs> and Imam Suyuti himself, when he wrote about Mudaffar celebration of Mawlud, he described the celebration of Mawlud by Mudaffar. How did Imam Suyuti describe it? Describe it, he said, in Irbil, when Mudaffar celebrated Mawlud, he had a great banquet, meaning a lavish banquet. Maybe better than what uh, Wembley can put up on Little Qadr night. And this banquet was given for the sheikhs and the Sufis. Very special group of people there. Not for the lay people, not for the people in the man in the street, no. This moment was only for the sheikhs and the Sufis. And to every guest he gave a gift. And Imam Suyuti says, part of the celebration was there was a special concert called Sama'ah. We call it in Malay, Saman. A special concert consisting of Saman means singing, that included dancing, in which the ruler participated. So Imam Suyuti himself says that the celebration of Mawlid included dancing and singing, but in his fatwa excluded, as he said, if you dance and, and sing, you know, there's not a good bid'ah. It's a bad bid'ah. But so they asked him, they said, but sir, you said there should be no dancing and singing. He said, yeah, but the people's intention are right. They go in with good intention. So you should overlook some of the bad things they do, provided the intention is to praise Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. La hawla wa la quwata illa billah. Great scholar. In other words, he was prepared to accept deviant practices being practiced within Mawlud. And he said that the pious purpose, the good near, the pious intention of the people making Mawlud should be taken into account and not the content of what people did know their behavior. And he said, based on Imam Shafi's division of Bida into Hasana, Imam Shafi was the one who divided Bida into good Bida, Bida Hasana and Bida Madhmuma, blameworthy. Imam Shafi said the blame, blame, the, the good Bida is the Bida which is in sync with the Sunnah of the Nabi Alaihi The bad Bida is that which is not in conformity with the Sunnah of Muhammad But of course, if, we don't know what Imam Shafi would have done if Mawlad was done in his time. He never did it. So we, we have no idea what he would have said. We have no idea what Abu Hanifa would have said. We have no idea what Imam Malik would have said. Although Imam Malik condemned all bid'ah. We have no idea what Imam Ahmad would have said about the celebration of Mawlud because they had passed away before the celebration of Mawlud. What did Imam Malik actually say? So I've given you Suyuti, the pro group. Imam Shatibi, which is a Maliki, he wrote in his Kitab al-I'atasam. He says, and he, and he expresses the view of Imam Malik. He says, Imam Malik said, whoever innovates in Islam a bid'ah that he sees as good has claimed that Muhammad has betrayed the message, the risala, because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Al-yawma akbaltu lakum deenakum, 
Imam Malik says, if you say there's a thing called a bid'ah which is good, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told the Nabi on Arafah less than three months before he died, in fact exactly 81 days before the Prophet died, Allah revealed this verse to the Nabi to mean, and many scholars say this was the last verse it was revealed. And what was the last verse? Today, O Muhammad have I perfected your faith for you? And I've completed my favor upon you. And I've chosen for you Islam as your deen. Imam Malik says, if you say that there's a bidah that comes after Allah has completed his faith, then Muhammad has, has betrayed us. Subhanallah. And he says, what was not part of the deen when that verse was revealed cannot become part of the deen after the verse was revealed. Because what are you telling Allah? You're telling Allah, sorry man, we love you and we like you and we want to go to Jannah, but you know you left out something. You know, you said you've completed your faith, but you forgot about Mawlud. What is the problem, man? Not only that you forgot to tell the Prophet also to tell us to make Mawlud. Another problem we have. So that's Imam Malik's view. So Imam Malik had very deep concern for the spread of bid'ah. He was, oh, this is going to destroy the deen. <coughs> he upheld the hadith of the Nabi Sallallahu He said, when the Nabi Sallallahu said, every bid'ah is dalala, and every bid'ah is in fire, that's what I follow, and you know, some scholars have ingenuity, they use rationalization. So they say, you see the word kullu, every bid'ah is in the fire. That kullu, that every, actually doesn't mean every. It means there's one or two exceptions, you know. There must be one or two exceptions. So the bright sparks, they come up and they say, yeah, let's look at, for example, in the time of the Nabi Wasallam, the Qur'an was not collected into a book. It was done after the death of the Nabi Wasallam. So that is a bid'ah, that is an innovation. Yet all the Sahaba agreed on that innovation and that is a good innovation. So what is wrong with a good innovation? So I look at this and I say to myself, Subhanallah. Because the Malik is answer and say, the collection and collation of the Qur'an falls under the category of darura, of necessity. It had to be done. The other group says, in response and defense, <coughs> that it's not a bid'ah, it is part of maslaha, part of public good. It's in the public interest and the public good. But the bid'ah is, those who practice bira, they will say, this is our trump card. <coughs> Quran was not collected by Muhammad <coughs> Let's look at it. Because these, these emails are going around amongst young people. One young man say, yeah, you know, this is bira. They'll say, oh, but what about, the, what about the Quran? Quran was collected after, that's a good bira. Do you agree it's good? They say, yes. You see, so, you say they are good bira. So there are exceptions. Let me look at it. I looked at it myself and I thought to myself, it can't be. First of all, 
When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala refers to the Qur'an in the Qur'an, what does Allah say? Allah subhanahu wa says, Inna hadha al-Qur'an yahdi lilladhi wa aqwam. Allah subhanahu wa says, this Qur'an leads to that which is absolutely straight. No crookedness. How does Allah refer to the Qur'an? What does Qur'an mean? Qur'an means that which is read. So Allah subhanahu refers to the Qur'an. In the Qur'an Allah says, this which is read will lead you straight to Jannah. <coughs> then Allah subhanahu says, in Surah Kahf, Alhamdulillahilladhi anzala ala abdihil Kitab. Allah says, all praise and thanks is due to Allah who revealed what to his servants. The Quran? No. Allah says, who revealed to his servants Al-Kitab. What is the Kitab? You ask a primary school student at Islamia. You were the principal here. I'm sure you will agree with me. If you ask one of the young students at Islamia, what is Kitab? What will he say? It's a book. What is a book? A book is something which consists of pages that you can read from page one to wherever it is, isn't it? Collated, that's a book. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Alif Lamim Dalik al Kitabu. This is an amazing verse. This is an amazing, an amazing. I can't say it's a cool verse. I mean, that's not. It's, a, it's an amazing verse. This is another word that my children use for amazing. I can't get to it now. What? Awesome. awesome. That's the word. It's an awesome verse. Subhanallah. And I'll tell you why it's an awesome verse. Because Allah subhanahu doesn't say Alif Lamim Hadal Kitabu La Raybafi. Allah doesn't say Alif Lamim this book in which there is no doubt. Allah subhanahu says that book in which there is no doubt. What book? Because when this Quran was revealed, there was no book. <coughs> Everything was memorized by the Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Compared to memory, committed to memory. So Allah because the Sahaba would have asked, Ya Rasulullah, where is this book that Allah speaks about? Allah speaks about that book. So the Christians in fact use this and say, you see, that book refers to the Bible. So how will we answer them? We answer them by saying, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knew that this Qur'an which was read today would become a book in the future. <coughs> who would have known that? Only who? Khaliqu samawati wal Creator of the heavens and the earth. That it wouldn't even happen in the time of Muhammad sallallahu The book will come about, al kitab will come about after Muhammad sallallahu in the Quran, Allah Subhanahu tells us it's going to happen. Number three, the Prophet couldn't read nor write, yet every time revelation came to him, he had somebody to write down the revelation. In fact, 
The seerah tells us, the history tells us, that the Nabi Sallallahu had 40 secretaries that used to record the Quran as it was revealed to the Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Nabi couldn't read. What was the purpose of writing it down? All the Sahaba memorized the Quran. 99% of the Sahaba couldn't read. In Makkah, when the Prophet when, when the Prophet became a prophet in Makkah, only 16 people could read and write. So few people. Which means 99% of the people of the Quraysh, of the Arabs, depended on what? They developed the best memories in the world. Best memories in the world. Could memorize anything, anyway, immediately. Somebody would recite a hundred verses of poetry and the Arab would look at him and when he's finished, that Arab would recite the poetry after him. Just like that. SubhanAllah. Yet the Nabi took it, I take, took it. Why? Because he knew he was preparing for the day when that Quran would be needed. So when the time came, in the time of Abu Bakr as-Siddiq at the Ridda wars, the wars of people became murtad, they didn't want to pay zakat to Sayyidina Abu Bakr. He said an army, many of the Hafad died, and Omar and Abu Bakr and Zayd came together and they decided they were going to collate the Quran, like a copy of it. So that in case lots of the Hafad die, there will at least be a written copy of the Quran. So those who say that, the Quran, compilation of the Quran was a hasa, bid'a hasanatuna. It's in the Quran. Allah says, هذا الكتاب What kitab? The kitab which will come after Muhammad Ingenious but unfortunately the Quran makes everything clear to us, alhamdulillah. So, Imam Malik then tells us that as far as he's concerned there's no bid'ah hasana and bid'ah. A good or bad bid'ah. There's only bid'ah madhmuma. Only bid'ah which is not acceptable in Islam. Because Muhammad said so. And that was the end of the story for him. There is a hadith which is reported in Imam Muslim and Tirmidhi and Abu Dawud and Ahmad. That the Nabi said, خَيْرُ أُمَّتِي أَرْقَرْنَ الَّذِي بُعِثْتُ فِيهِمْ Nabi said, the best century is the century in which I was sent as a prophet. Then the Nabi said, and I'm now rewinding to the time of Muhammad Then the Nabi said, the next century, then the next century. The best is my century. Then the next century, then the next century. Because in cricket, all centuries are the best. But here the Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, his century was the best century. What does it mean? It means the Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam was saying that all the goodness, the highest and purest goodness was to be found in his century. And as you moved away from his century, it was less good and less good. So if any good was left out in the time of the Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, it would not have been the best century. Isn't it? If there was any good left out by Muhammad sallallahu you would not be. He said, "This is the best time, the best time, the greatest time, mustajab time, baraka time. All the good things happen in the first century. 
So where are we now? We're now in the time of the Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa And as I said to you, there is one thing that all these people agree on, the protagonists, the antagonists, the pro and anti groups. They all agree on one thing, it's a bid'ah. Why? Because it was not practiced by the Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa Neither by the Sahaba. So you all agree on that. The difference comes in, some of them say, but it's a good bid'ah, good innovation. Others say, it's a bad innovation. That's the difference of opinion. Well, let's look at that difference of opinion. Let's see what it comes to. So the question I want to ask you, and the question I ask myself, if there is so much khilaf, ikhtilaf, there is a scholar here who says, make it, scholars say, don't make it. This one interprets the hadith in this way, the other one hadith interprets the hadith in that way. I had a teacher in Usul al-Fiqh. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Give him the highest jannah. Amen. I'm here because of my teacher. He was of the opinion, and I used to sit and discuss with him many times, that actually in Islam there should be no two opinions. Actually in Islam there should only, there's only one right opinion. There's only one right. There can't be two, two, two rights. That was his opinion. So I asked him, sir, why do you say that? He says, because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us in the Quran, this was his main argument. So he says, we have four mothers, but actually there should only be one mother. We can't say all is right. We say, Shafi is right, Hanifa is right, Malik is right, Ahmad ibn Hamal is right. And sometimes they oppose each other, diametrically opposed to each other. He says, it can't be, can't be that this deen, there must be one right only. So I asked him, sir, but why do you say that? He says, because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Holy Quran, somebody sabotage my notes. Can't be my wife. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says Surah Al-Nisa. My teacher quote. He says, Allah says in Surah Al-Nisa, which is the fourth surah, verse 59, a verse which you all know. Ya ayu alladheena amanu. Oh, you people who believe. Ati'u Allah wa ati'u al-Rasul. And by the way, Allah says, Ya in this surah, in this ayah, oh, you people who believe, be obedient to Allah and be obedient to Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. In fact, this Ati'ur Rasul is mentioned more than 25 times in the Quran. So Allah subhanahu wa says, be obedient to Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. What does Allah say further? Oh, you believe, be obedient to Allah and be obedient to His Prophet. وَأُولِ الْأَمْرِ مِنْكُمْ And those who have been placed in charge of you from amongst yourselves. فَإِن تَنَازَعْتُمْ فِي شَيْءٍ And if you differ on a matter, what must you do? Like now we have this matter of Mawlud. What must you do? Allah says, فَرُدُّوا إِلَى اللَّهِ وَالرَّسُولِ Then refer the matter back to Allah and His Messenger. 
in kuntum tu'minuna billahi wal yawmil akhir Allah says if you truly believe truly believe in Allah and you believe in the day of judgment refer the matter back to Allah and his prophet when you differ the verse goes on and says dhalika khairun wa ahsanu ta'wila Allah himself creator of the heavens and the earth he says that is better for you and suitable for a final decision on the matter. In other words, the Quran and the Sunnah must give you a final decision. Allah says so, He says. So He says, so if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says there is a final decision, there can only be one final decision. I'm still trying to fathom how one gets to that point. And maybe inshallah, my prayer is that a time will come when we will have only one madhab. Inshallah. That may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give we produce the scholars to take us on the road to where we will all, mashallah, say this is the consensus reached by the ulama. I'm not going to start a new madhab. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Don't, don't put that on me. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that that should be, and there are, there are lots of scholars in the world whose main task is to work on that. To bring about that legal unity amongst Muslims. So now, so I read this verse, because now two years I've been reading all this, it worries me. I'm against, people are for, this one says that, the other one says that. How do I refer this to Allah and His Prophet? Let's refer it to Allah first. So when we refer it to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the first thing which came to my mind was Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Holy Quran, what does Allah say? Allah says in Surah Al-Ahzab, the Confederates, what does Allah say? In Surah Al-Ahzab. Anybody know? The 33rd Surah, verse 56. Anybody know? La ilaha illallah. You come to celebrate Mawlid and you don't know this verse. What is the verse? إِنَّ اللَّهَ وَمَلَائِكَتَهُ يُصَلُّونَ عَلَى النَّبِي يَا أَيُّهَا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا صَلُّوا عَلَيْهِ وَسَلِّمُوا تَسْلِيمًا اللهم صل وسلم وبارك على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين You see? So much we love this prophet. Oh, we love him so much. We scream our throats out for him. But we don't even know where the verse that says we should do it, where it is in the Quran. I'm saying this to you and to me. So you see, there's no time to waste on things which doesn't you concentrate on things that matter. Find out where the verse is and learn where, the, where it is. And when you quote the verse and you know where it comes from. What does the verse say? The verse says, Verily Allah and his angels put salawat on Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa Oh, you believe put salawat on Muhammad sallallahu So I said, this is the crux of Mawlid, isn't it? This is the crux. Those who, those who celebrate say, we put salawat as commanded by Allah in the Quran. When this verse was revealed to the Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, the Sahaba asked the Prophet. What did they ask the Prophet? This hadith is hadith 589 in Bukhari. You can quickly, those of you have heard. Hadith 589 of Bukhari. Hadith narrated by Abdul Rahman ibn Abi Layla. 
Abdurrahman ibn Abi Layla says that I was made by Kaab ibn Ujrah, another Sahabi. And he said to me, Oh Abdurrahman, shall I give you a present? I've got a present for you. But it's typical when I want to have a kiss from my grandchildren. Come here, I'm going to pass and give you a present. But this is a different present. This present is also for you. Present is for you. This present from Abdurrahman. So the Sahabi said to him, Please give it to me. He says, This is a gift from Muhammad. A present from Muhammad himself. So he said, what is the present? He said, Allah revealed the verse, Ya ayyuhalladhina amanu. What's the verse? Inna allaha wa malaikatahu yusalluna ala nabi. Ya ayyuhalladhina amanu, sallu alayhi wa sallam taslim. He says, Allah revealed, and the Prophet sallam, we asked the Nabi, Ya Rasulallah, Allah has commanded us to put salawat and salam on you. Please will you instruct us? Please tell us. How should we put salawat on you? It's an obvious question, isn't it? Have you ever asked yourself, how did the Nabi want us to put salawat on him? You know, we have surahs that big, that big, that big, that big. A line in the middle, or the page is divided into three, and all three is filled with salawat on the Nabi sallallahu and it's written in a language that I don't understand and you don't understand. It's written in the most ancient poetry of Arabic. If I should give a book to any of you, including myself, we will not be able to read one page of it and understand it. Is it so or is it not so? I give you a Riwayat Surah, you call the Riwayat Surah, and I say, read for me. One page and translate it for me. You know how difficult it is? Home is impossible. But a book that is simple to read, simple to understand. The Quran of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We don't spend so much time in reading the Quran of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And reading the Rewaid Surah, there's no reward. Allah doesn't talk about it in the Quran. Nor does the Nabi Sallallahu speak about it. Only Barakah is reading the Quran, the reward reading the Quran of Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala. Anyway, let's come back to the point. So he said, what is the gift? He said, we asked the Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Ya Rasulullah, كيف أصلي وأسلم عليك? How do we put salawat and salam? Where is the hadith? In Bukhari. Not just something which I that my grandfather gave to me in my dream. No, 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 no. No fairy tales and dreams in Islam. Yeah, they're good dreams for good people. So the Nabi Sallallahu said, Say, Allahumma salli ala Muhammad kama sallayta ala Ibrahim wa ala al Ibrahim wa barik ala Muhammad وَعَلَىٰ آلِ مُحَمَّدٍ كَمَا بَارَكْتَ عَلَىٰ إِبْرَاهِيمٍ وَعَلَىٰ آلِ إِبْرَاهِيمٍ فِي الْعَالَمِينَ إِنَّكَ حَمِيدٌ مَجِيدٌ خلاص 
from the Prophet himself about salawat on him. He instructs us how to do it. That was the instruction. And by the way, it's not Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad. Nabi Sallallahu didn't say, he couldn't have said, oh Allah put salawat on our Sayyid because he was saying it about himself. He didn't say, say oh Allah put salawat on, my, on our Sayyid Muhammad Sallallahu He couldn't have said that himself. So it's Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ala ali Muhammad kama sallayta ala Ibrahim wa ala ali Ibrahim fil alami innaka hamidun majid. So when we say we must put salawat on Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam, did he say read this riwayat surah? No, 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 no. Did he say he must shout at the top? No, 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 no. Did he say he must sing it on the stage like? No, no, no. He said say that. And how many times do we say that every day? Every salah. In dhuhr, twice. In the fall salah. In the sunnah, once. Maghrib, twice. Asr, twice and once in the sunnah salah. And so forth and so on. So we celebrate, those of you who say celebrate Mawlud by putting salawat on Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, we celebrate Mawlud five, more than five times every single day. Because that is what the Nabi has said. Allah says, Inna Allah wa malaikatahu yusalluna ala nabi. Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu sallu alayhi wa sallam. Prophet himself responded and said, this is how you put salawat on. Beauty in simplicity. We've complicated it to such an extent where only maybe three people who sit in front can do what is done and shame. 99% of you have to sit there and do this. And you think, but this can't be Islam. Impossible. How is it that only three people must do and 99% of the ummah doesn't do? Can't be. This can't be my Islam. Can't be that. I stand in front and make Aisha Salah and you all sit in the back there and do nothing. Can't be. Can't be. So where does the confusion come in? So that is the crux of the matter. Put Salawat on Muhammad Why is there so much confusion? Because, because it is a man-made institution, there is no consensus on how to do it. If I tell you now, you should go home and make maulid at home. We're going to make a shine in the masjid, but maulid, you must go and make it at home. How many of you know what to do? Put up your hands. What shall I do? Must I read the Quran? Must I stand in my lounge? I make acharakal? Must I read the riwayat? Must I read the yasin? Must I put the lights off? Must I eat biryani? <laughs> How do I celebrate Mawlud? That's a very question. If you should miss Salatul Aisha here now, say you get sick, or you have a bladder problem, or something, and you say, Shaykh, I must go home, man. I must go make Isha at home. Do you know how to make Isha at home? Does everybody know how to make Isha at home? MashaAllah. Why? Because it comes from Muhammad sallallahu He taught you. But because this is an institution which has come from men, we can add Bubuti, Susati, Kusistas, Samosas, coffee, tea, 
everything we can put in one pot and we can stir it, and we say Bismillah. Khalas. Bismillah. And this is the confusion. No methodology. Everybody does what he wants. Some have it on the stadium. First we have it there at Greenpoint. Then we say, no, we're not going to invite the politicians. Maybe that's not right. So now we cut out the politicians. We have it on the stadium. <coughs> okay. Now what? Okay, now. Um, what next year? What do we do next year? Because remember, next year it's going to be on the day of Christmas. <laughs> exactly 10 days earlier. So now we're going to have Christmas, mess, and Christmas singing carols with the same night. Muslims are gathering them. Allah must either take me away from the dunya before then, or Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala must save this ummah. Then it will be exactly like this. Because we started wrong, you see, 600 years ago we started wrong. Started on the wrong foot. We followed the non-Muslims who created this institution to mislead Muslims. Why? Because it's already in our deen. We don't need a separate celebration for Muhammad sallallahu We don't need one. We have it every single day of our lives. Of course then the people will come and they will say, but you see, you don't understand. <coughs> Though you've read all the books, and, but you, you, you know, you, people of Sharia don't understand. You know, we are the, the, we the, we the, we know the inner, inner side, you know, things that you, we know what. So they say, you see, the Prophet fasted every Monday. So why did he fast every Monday? Sahaba asked him, Ya Rasulullah, why do you fast every Monday? said, I fast because I was born on a Monday. So these grand muftis, and my friend calls them grand muftis, he's sitting in the back there. They say, you see, the prophet celebrated his birthday. All right, we accept that. So we accept he celebrated his birthday. How did he celebrate his birthday? What was his sunnah of celebration of his birthday? Tell me. He fasted every Monday. So what should we do? We want to follow the sunnah completely. What must we do? We fast every Monday. I haven't heard a single visitor coming in and say, Oh, Muslimin of Cape Town, we follow the sunnah. Prophet ﷺ celebrated his birthday. He fasted every Monday. Please come with me. We will fast every Monday. No, it's more eating than fasting. That's why one of the ulama faqihani, he says, Mawlud, that time already became a festival for gluttons. Gluttons. It's just about food. Something's about food. So that argument also falls away. Thirdly, if Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam forgot to mention the word Mawlud or Mawlid, and he forgot to say to us because he was a shy man, he didn't want to say, you know, you must celebrate my birthday. He was too shy to tell us. Then at least the Sahaba should have had some sense, you know. After all, they loved him the most, Abu Bakr and Omar and Ali and Osman. They had no sense. At least they should have said, yeah, we love this man, man. Ya Allah. 
We have to celebrate his birthday. We have to. They all forgot. For 600 years, the whole Ummah forgot. Imam Shafi forgot, Abu Hanifa forgot, Abu Qadri Jairani forgot, Imam Ghazali forgot. Malik, every single Muslim for 600 years had no idea about this. Can you, can you say, does it make sense? But we are the great people. Oh, we are the number one. We, you know, they didn't know. Abu Bakr different. We, we know. We, we, subhanAllah. And Allah says about the Sahaba, radiyallahu anhum waraduan. Allah is pleased with them and they're pleased with Allah. Jibreel came to the Nabi Sallallahu and said, Ya Rasulullah, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Allah has sent me to you today with a special instruction. Allah has told me that I must tell you that you must go to Abu Bakr and give my salam to Abu Bakr as-Siddiq Can you imagine? Allah sent salam through the seven heavens to Abu Bakr as-Siddiq. Any man better than him? Can't be. So the Nabi Sallallahu went to Abu Bakr and said, Oh Abu Bakr, I've got good news for you. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saying salam to you. And Jibreel said to me, Allah asks you a question. Allah asks you. Allah created them. Ask Abu Bakr. Look at the status of Abu Bakr. Allah asks you a question. I must convey this question to you. And Allah wants an answer from you on this question. Oh Abu Bakr. Allah says, Ana radin anka ya Abu Bakr. Al anta radin anni. Allah says to you, Abu Bakr, Allah is pleased with you. Allah wants to know, are you pleased with Allah? That's why Allah says when He describes the Sahaba in the Quran, He says, Radiallahu anhum wa radu'an. Radiallahu anhum. Allah is pleased with them. And they are pleased with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Status. So if we should just think that Abu Bakr didn't do it, then that should be enough answer for everybody on anything. First question we should ask, did the Sahaba do it? They are the most beloved to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When he was in the cave with the Nabi sallam, and the Quraysh was, was there by the cave coming to kill the Prophet sallam, Abu Bakr was there, he looked down and he said, Ya Rasulullah, he started crying. He said, Ya Rasulullah, if, the, if they look down, they will see my feet. And the Prophet said to him, Oh, Abu Bakr, look, don't, don't cry, be, be calm. He said, how can I be calm? He said, In qutil tu ana fa inna ma ana rajulun wahid. He said, Oh Prophet of Allah, if they kill me, they kill one man. If they kill you, they kill a whole ummah, a whole nation. You love the Prophet more than Abu Bakr? Then Allah revealed the verse. For only for, 
for his eyes only, as we would say. If qala li sahibihi la tahzan, inna Allah ma'ana. When the friend said to the other friend in the cave, don't be afraid, Allah is with us. And Allah says after that, فَأَنزَلَ اللَّهُ سَكِينَةُ عَلَيْهِ Allah sent sakina in the heart of Abu Bakr. Subhanallah. Allah says, tell your friend not to be, not to be, not to be afraid from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is the status of Abu Bakr. Nabi Sassam said about Umar, if a Nabi should come, have come after me, it would have been Umar ibn Khattab But la Nabi abadi, there's no prophet after me. About Uthman, the Nabi Sassam said, the Malaika are shy of him. Malaika, when they see Sina Uthman, they look down. It is said that Uthman never looked at his private part in his whole life. So Skarman was a shy was he. Never looked at his private part. That's why the Nabi Sassam said, when both his daughters died, Ruqayya and Um Kuthum that was married to Uthman, he said, if I had another daughter, I would have given it immediately to Sayyidina Uthman. Ali karram Allah wajah subhanallah. What a great man. Prophet loved him so much, he gave his only daughter. Omar came to ask for an in marriage. So many sahaba came to ask. He said, no. He married her to Ali. Karram Allah These four great people who was given the glad tidings of Jannah on the dunya did not celebrate the maulud of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa and I'm not saying this because it pleases me. I'm saying this because this is the facts of history. This is how it is and can never be changed. The only people that have changed history are the, the Shia. They're the only people who say, Ali is fine, but the other three, So my dear brothers and sisters, the Quran is clear. You have to put salawat on the Nabi alayhi salam, and we are told when to put salawat and where to put salawat on the Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa Then we come to the hadith. It's very clear. Kulla bid'atin dalala. Every devotional innovation is a stray. What does devotional innovation mean? Innovation in your deen. If you think <coughs> that Mawlud is an ibadah, then you're in deep trouble. With deep trouble. Because now you are bringing into the deen which is not part of the deen. Then the clever ones say that there is a maximum in Islam, a maximum. Just a general rule that says, Al Asl fil Ashia al Ibaha. These emails also go around. My son would ask, you know, but uh, how can Bida be allowed? And he says, well, there's a maximum in Islamic law which says the foundation of everything that it is allowed, except that which Allah and His Prophet has disallowed. So they say Allah and His Prophet didn't disallow. If you read the Quran and don't know this allowance of Mawlud in the Quran, what did the Nabi say? Don't make my Mawlud. So it must be allowed. But they really 
to check themselves because the day of Qiyamah, Allah will ask him, why did you put your hand on the last part of the maxim? The maxim has two parts. The first part says that the foundation, the asal of everything is that it is permissible illa fil ibadat. Except in matters of worship. Nothing is permissible in matters of worship except that which has been commanded by Allah or Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa So if we make mawlud to get closer to Allah, it's an ibadah. If we, we've created a new ibadah. Like the Quraysh, when Allah said to Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa ask them, why do you worship the idols? They said, we worship the idols, yuqarribuna ila Allahi zulfa. Because the idols bring us closer to Allah. <coughs> the same answer is given by people who create their own ibadah. Ask them, why are you doing this? They say, you know, please be close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The same answers Quraysh gave, same answers we give. The same bid'ah they practice, same bid'ah we practice. So may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give, Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, finally, I told you this bad news. It's your own fault. You want to stay, you want to listen. <coughs> Last hadith, Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, this deen, when it came into the world, the Arabs looked at it and said, this is a very strange thing. It's a very strange deen. No interest, no riba, no wine. What kind of a faith is this? No walking around the Kaaba naked. Hmm? What is this? No worshipping idols. Who is this man, Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi And Nabi Sallallahu said, a day will come when this deen will again become strange. You only have to look at YouTube to see how strange it's become. It's a very strange deen. I was looking yesterday, last night at the video, somebody sent me a video of, they were celebrating the Mawlud of one of the great saints of Egypt, uh, Badawi, Ahmad Badawi. <coughs> you won't believe it. Those of you who have seen the video, I'm sure some of you have seen the video. They actually have like a disco dancing. Now normally we have our dancing in the what's only men. Yeah, were men and women dancing with each other like that, and the band playing in the background, and all of us sitting on the stage. So the reporter, lady reporter, asked the convener of this celebration of the murder of this dead saint, tell me, but isn't this against the Sharia, these women and men dancing with each other? How do you justify this? <laughs> he, said, he said, you know what he said? He said, no, they don't come here bodily, they're only here in spirit. The spirits are dancing with each other. Like the Ismaili says, when we drink wine, it turns into water. In fact, after a while, shaitan makes you believe anything. This is where Bida means. You believe anything. He says, yeah. See, and the, the girl asks him a second time again the same question. Why? Isn't this haram? He says, no. She said, don't the women come here for the men? She said, no, can't be. Arwahum ta'ati ilayna. These souls are coming here. This is soul dancing. (laughs) (laughs) 
you laugh, you know, but all these are signs of Qiyamah. That's my final word. There are minor signs of Qiyamah and major signs of Qiyamah. The minor signs of Qiyamah is like I received a number of somebody sent me a whole list of uh, Whatsapps. I, I can't understand what the WhatsApp mean, but in my little bit of akal that I still have left, after reading all this Bida literature, in fact, it's a whole genre, this, it's called Bida literature, all books on Bida and all the Fatawa and things. The gist of the discussion was, the reason why we have so much khilaf is because of the Sunnah. La hawla wa la illa. This person was saying if there was no sunnah, we would not have had khilaf. La hawla wa la quwwata sunnah, As if he says, if there was no sunnah, we wouldn't have made any khilaf. So what is happening is, you know what is happening? And there's this great movement of food in the world. Your children are aware of this movement. Movement away from sunnah. Scrap the sunnah. Have only the Quran. Scrap the sunnah. You scream to the Quran, they say, no khilaf. So we have the Quran, why is there khilaf? This is a dangerous, you know? Salman Rushdie. Why did the world, Muslim world want to kill him? For what reason? One reason alone. He insulted Muhammad sallallahu He insulted Aisha sallallahu you will find that the West will try from time to time, every five years, every ten years, every two years, every three years, they will have portraits of Muhammad painted. They will have bring out a film about the wife of Aisha. Why? They're testing the waters. Because they've tested all the waters of Muslims. They have scratched everywhere the Quran. They have scratched, they have colonized our lands. They have sent us all their muck from Hollywood. They have given us all their fashions. Our women are dressed, but they're naked. All this, they have thrown at us. But there's one hurdle that they have, that they, that they, they haven't crossed yet. And that is they, have, they haven't been able to remove this ummah from its prophet. We are an ummah that love our prophet. You say and think about Muhammad we will die for it. And what is happening now? The future generation is saying, because how do we know Muhammad without the Sunnah? If we leave the Sunnah, we have nothing. Then, they, then we've crossed the Rubicon, we've crossed the last hurdle, we've finished. End of story. That's it. We leave the Sunnah, my dear brothers, we've lost it all. All, everything, all of it is gone. And Allah's love also be gone. Gone. Allah says so. In kuntum tuhibbuna Allah, fattabi'uni. If you say you love me, says Allah, follow Muhammad sallallahu Follow Muhammad sallallahu So this is the danger in bid'ah. Bid'ah suppresses the sunnah. It supplants the sunnah. Because if you have time for that, you have to neglect the one. And that is why the White House spends billions of dollars on Sufi movements throughout the world. They can live in Constantia. 
They are Sufi sheikhs, they don't understand. How can you live in Constantin? You, 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 you have never worked in your life. From where does the money come? Build a mosque, buy a mosque in Cape Town. Where does the money come? Ask the question. You come here from, from America, you wear a turban, and you drive this new infinity, is it? Infinities, 10, 5, You open a school, not in, in Gatesville, or in the Rylands, or in Manhattan, the center of Cape Town, on the high-rise building. Where does all this money come from? And what is the purpose of this? We don't need schools in Cape Town. We have enough. Down all over, madrasas, you name it, we're inundated, we can't handle it. Shame the poor businessmen are inundated with every day people come to them to ask for money for them. <coughs> if you look at all these people who peddle these things, you will find there are two things. If you scratch just a little bit under the surface, two reasons why they come here. First of all, we're a, we're a very gullible community. If a man speaks Arabic, oh, mashallah, man speaks Arabic. Yeah, Allah, man speaks Arabic. That's number one. Number two, do you see his, his turban? Oh my God. Do you see his abaya? Wow. <coughs> and you know what? He's a descendant of the Prophet. Further than that, we know nothing about the man. We know nothing about his history. We don't know how he treats his wife, wherever he comes from. We don't know how he treats his children. We don't know how he treats his community. We don't know what business dealings he may have had with him. We know nothing about him. And we genuflex in front of these people. And they take us behind and they lead us all over. And they implant in us ideas that is not part of the deep. I mean, if these people come us and teach us the deen, we say, Barakallah, come please. Come and teach us the deen. Come and teach us Sunnah Muhammad But the first thing they do here when they land from the airport, they go to a mosque and make maulud. What is this? I mean, at least you can say we're going to have a lecture. Mufti Sawajo is coming. Sayyidi Sawajo is coming. Descendant of the Prophet is coming. He's having a lecture. On Fakis Kral Stadium, he's going to talk about the Sunnah of the Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And he's going to tell us how to follow the Sunnah Tariqah of Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi But what they do is they speak about it, but when you see what they do, it's totally the opposite of what they preach. So may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala guide us. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala save us and our children from the day when our children and our money and our wealth will be of no avail. What will help us only will be our practice of the Quran and the Sunnah of Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. The Prophet said, I left you two things. He didn't say I left you my progeny or my ancestry or my descendants. He never said that. He never said that. He never said, hey, don't worry, don't worry. I don't want 
My 376 descendants will come to Cape Town. Your problems are solved. Like the man said, you know, he's in Park Road Masjid, the man came into Park Road Masjid and everybody stood up and sang some song, some whatever they sang. And this man was very disappointed, he said to his friend, you know, I've come to this masjid for 30 years, nobody ever stood up when I come into the masjid. Nobody ever says, says things, anything when I come into the masjid. So the man says, but who are you? He says, you know who I am? I'm a direct descendant of a prophet of Allah. The man says, what do you mean? He says, Allah called me Bani Adam, I'm the son of Adam. Allah says, Ya Bani Adam in the Quran, oh, sons of Adam. Allah says, I'm the son of Adam, direct descendant. Nobody can even question us. There's no doubt. I don't need to bring you a family tree. <laughs> and what does Allah say about Bani Adam in the Quran? Laqad karrabna Bani Adam. Allah has honored me. Allah says, I have honored the children of Adam. <laughs> we think, oh, the people honored. Allah honored you, man. Never mind him. Allah says, I honored you. You were, the, you were the son of Adam. I honored you. Laqad karramna Allah says, laqad karramna Allah says, wa karramna Allah says, wa laqad. Those of you know Arabic, those that qad means, I have certainly, surely, without a doubt, I have honored all of you. Allah has honored you. Not people on the, on the, on the, on the airport. No, 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 you don't need Allah himself has honored you. Like Allah honored Muhammad sallallahu by saying, put salawat on him. Allah says, I honor the children of Adam. Tell this to your children. Tonight when you go home, say, my child, Allah has honored you. Say, daddy, but that, no, no, no. Allah says, Allah doesn't say anything in the Quran about that man. But Allah talks about you in the Quran. Allah says, I've honored you. You see, we, that's why Allah says, وَإِن تَعُدُّ نِعْمَةَ اللَّهِ لَا تُخْسُوَا If we should count one of the favors of Allah, you would not be able to count. Allah says one favor. Allah doesn't say, if you should count the favors, the plural of Allah. Allah says, وَاللَّهِ مُسْلِمِينَ And everybody, وَإِن تَعُدُّ نِعْمَةَ اللَّهِ لَا تُخْسُوَا If you should count one ni'mah of Allah, you will not be able to count it. This is a new ni'mah that I've given you tonight. Allah has honored you. You want more honor than that? You want more honor than that, you honest the boo. Can't have more honor than that. Allah, we thank Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for having honored us as the Ummah of Muhammad sallallahu For having sent to us Muhammad sallallahu So having revealed to Muhammad the Quran can never change for having made us the first Ummah that will enter Jannah. For having given us, of all the Ummahs, the keys of Jannah. For having honored us, the Bani Adam, sons of Adam. These are all the honor which Allah has bestowed upon us. This is the message that Muhammad brought to us. That he, Muhammad is the وَمَا أَرْسَلْنَاكَ إِلَّا رَحْمَةً لِلْعَالَمِ he is the Rahmah, the big Rahmah, and we are the small Rahmahs. Allah sent. May we honor, may we honor that badge which Allah has given to us. Badge of, I'm a member of the Ummah. Not today, like my nephew, 
said to me, as I said on Friday, they have uniforms now, they have a badge. On the badge is the slippers of the Nabi, photo of the slippers. Then they have the thing hanging over on this side or this side, also with slippers. Then they have the kufiya with the slippers here. Then they have a ring, also that you must buy with the slippers. Special shop that sells it. You must buy these things. Then you become part of the group. Then you become part of one of the three seventies. One of the, is it 73 sets? Yeah. 73. Then you form, now you have formed one of the 73 sex. I didn't say sex, I said six. <laughs> oh, it's always somebody you know who comes up with something. Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi said, all of them will be in Jahannam. Illa wahida. Except one. Which one? Which one? Ah, those who follow the Quran and Be proud Muslim, stand tall. You are the Allah says, Kuntum khaira ummatin ukhrijatina. You're the best people, you're the best people. You don't you are the best. You're the best. No better than you. Allah says so. Allah says. Why? Because you say, La ilaha illallah. La ilaha illallah. You exclude everything else from your sight. And you say, La ilaha illallah. That's why you are the best. All the other nations and religions have corrupted their faiths by making gods out of their prophets. Not us. We say, La ilaha illallah. Stand. You don't need people to make you stand to Allah's when you stand. Convey this message to your children. You know, when I read the emails coming from the young people, the one says, Yeah, I found, mashallah, you know, I'm now spiritually charged, and I'm now this, and, you know, I attended this dhikr, and I attended that gathering, and my sheikh, you know, he just puts up his hand, and he lowers it, you know, and I feel this, you know, coming through me, and I, Allah, hawla wa Say, yeah, my son, my nephew, my... when you hear, you don't say that when you tell me you hear the Quran. I've never heard you say, I listen to the Qadi Allah and you know, I get this peace. You say when you said it, La hawla wa la Like the Christians will say, you know, I give on my death, give my life to Jesus. I found Jesus. God is gone. There's no more God in Christianity. God is finished. He's done. He's khalat. It's all about Jesus. Jesus. Love Jesus. We're going on the same path. One day there will be no more Allah, there will only be man, this man, that man, this man, that man. It's already going, you can see it's going that way. Allah is just somebody, somewhere in the sky that we say, you know, somewhere there, some vision. Because we've lost the connection. We've lost the connection. May Allah SWT give that we. And I know what you're saying, this man is carrying on it. But you know, I, when I look at your beautiful face, I think, mashallah, you know, you're smiling with me now, before you didn't smile with me, now you're smiling with me. When I started, you know, you're old, now you're smiling with me, and I feel, mashallah, you know, you're smiling with me. So, you know, on the day of Qiyamah, please, please tell Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that, uh, don't forget, you know, I will tell Allah that you were here and you listened, and you tell Allah that the message I gave was the message that Muhammad told me to give you. 
I've given you no other message, no other message from nobody else. My message was from Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam, and my message was what Allah subhanahu wa taala says in the Quran. Wallahu taala alam. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi taala wa barakatuh.